Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gender-fluid friends of all ages, Central Illinois proudly brings to you its NWA Tag Team Podcast of the World. Gentlemen, Tommy Tracy, superstar Olivia Grayson, that's gotta be wrestling. That was good. Thank you. Indeed. Welcome back to That's Gotta Be Wrestling, the wrestling review podcast. Today we are discussing NWA's Starcade 85, which took place on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, November 28th of 1985. These things always miss my birthday by like a day. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> even though I wasn't born then. Uh, and it took place at the Greensboro Coliseum Complex in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the Omni Coliseum in Atlanta, Georgia. That's right. We were getting... A two arena show. Two locations. Uh, there was a combined audience of 30,000 people combined, and the tagline for the show was called The Gathering, even though that didn't come into play at all. Uh, well, it's and Thanksgiving, you know, like the That makes gathering, sense. Yeah, everyone's gathering gather together. Thanksgiving. That's a good point. It's a good point. I did not read that much into it. <laughs> uh, and we have a pretty cool poster of uh, Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes staring at each other. We will post that, of course, on the Instagram, and if not, go look it up. So. Yeah. But, uh... We are here, like I said, discussing Starcade, and normally we do uh, this day, the day we watched it in wrestling history for these older episodes. However, yeah. we thought it would be a bad idea to skip over some of the most important news that we are getting in the wrestling world this past week. Uh, so, Olivia, do you want to hit us with the news? Oh, yeah. So, this last week, we've got some pretty major releases from WWE on the roster, so, this past week, uh, WWE released Braun Strowman, Buddy Murphy, Aleister Black, Lana, Ruby Riot, and Santana Garrett all from their roster. Um, I'm assuming for a variety of different reasons. Budget reasons is what they Budget said. Budget reasons. That's interesting. Um, gotta give Charlotte another million, right? Yeah. Uh, well, hey, Braun Strowman's <laughs> contract was apparently a million a year. So, I mean, hey? that's a high price. But yeah. these are some big names. I mean, yeah. you know... Santana Garrett and Buddy Murphy, maybe not so much. And you could maybe argue Ruby Riot, not so much, even though she was in the only legitimate tag team in the women's tag division. Uh, but Aleister Black, big name. And Lana, big name. And Braun Strowman was just the world champion last year. Which is so wild to think about. He had a big WrestleMania match. Yeah. He was in the title match at WrestleMania Backlash, the last WWE show we covered. And now he's gone, and it's... It's a bummer. I mean, you don't want to see any of these people lose their jobs, but they're all going to be fine. I yeah. Mean, everyone's think, been saying they'll all be fine. Yeah. I think all of them are very talented and very capable and are all pretty big names. I can imagine some of them going to other major promotions, mm-hmm. um, and I'm really rooting for Lana to go to AEW. She's going to be with her husband regardless. Please, everyone, pass along the message. Lana, <laughs> please go to AEW. Yeah. I'm begging of you. That um, women's roster could totally use you, totally need someone like you. She's great on the mic. A few days after uh, her release to Rusev, or sorry, Miro, was on Dynamite, and he cut a promo, and he said, uh, I am a brute, and my wife is hot. Yes. And I thought that was just great, because... You gotta say that on national television. Um, however, I would like to see Braun Strowman go to New Japan because yeah. he would be a monster like Gaijin heel that like they get very few of over there, and I think that would work really well for him. For sure. Everyone else, I mean, you've got Ring of Honor, you've got Impact, you've got AEW, of course. Um, I think the one I'd want to see in AEW the most, aside from Lana, is Aleister Black or Tommy End because I think he could have some killer yeah. matches. Um, but putting him in like Ring of Honor, putting him even if he went to New Japan would be really cool um 
there's rumors going around that Ruby Riot would go to uh, Impact. So, I mean, we'll see. You know, no one will know. They all have a 90-day non-compete clause, so... I think uh, all of them will end up somewhere in the wrestling world. Yeah. You know, and we were listening to some things that talked about them, like, oh, this is, like, probably not their last time in WWE, and I, I, had, I had time to think about that. And it might honestly, be Lana's, honestly. Um, <laughs> you know, I hope for some of them that it is. You know, being on the WWE roster certainly is, isn't for everyone, and I think, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been, I guess, more important to be included on the biggest wrestling promotion. But now the landscape is sort of changing. We're starting to get some really growing and legitimate, pro- uh, you know, promotions. And one being AEW, which is, like, huge. They have a TV deal. Um, so it's definitely not the end for a lot of these people yeah I think. absolutely not i could see braun Strowman coming back i could see a lot of them coming back but that's future down the road we have yeah. no idea what's going to happen uh there's also the rumor that Vince McMahon is selling the company and that's yeah. why he's making these which i want to say what a slap in the face to triple agents not just triple h but stephanie and shane i don't think shane wants the company really but stephanie wants that fucking company and triple h wants that company and if you're going to sell it and it's not going to go to them and it's going to go to some suits that don't know anything about wrestling, you know what that reminds me of, Olivia? WCW. Yeah. Which is not good because you want a wrestling company in the hands of wrestling-minded business people. For so sure. Who, I mean, you could argue, well, Triple H should get it. Maybe. That's a terrible argument. But that's an argument for another day. But you don't want it in some random suited man or woman's hand who has no care or no idea what to do with wrestling but i do agree with the sentiment that it's maybe because like stephanie and triple h and shane i guess don't want the company triple h wants that Um, company (laughs) i mean i don't know maybe maybe after handling nxt kind of on his own maybe he's changing his mind maybe he's like you know handling nxt alone is the thing for me and that's all i want to do so who knows i mean maybe but who knows if they sell it, if someone would even let them continue to do I that. Mean, so. yeah, I but again, so. that's complete rumor. Yeah. We have no idea. But that's beside the point. We're here to discuss Starcade 1985. Yeah. And before we start, um, let me go through my list of the deceased, as I like to do. Uh, so we've got, ironically, the Nature Boy, Buddy Landell, who is the fake Nature Boy, as I like to call him. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Don Kernodal. The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, The Russian Bear, Ivan Koloff, Johnny Weaver, Gentleman Paul Jones, Cowboy Ron Bass, and Chief Wahoo McDaniel. And I'm adding someone new to the list, someone we covered to the two previous Starcades, and that is Don Kernodal. Because apparently, on May 17th of 2021, at the age of 71, Don Kernodal uh, committed suicide. Oh, that's really sad. Which is really sad, yeah. yeah. Um, not much more is known about why um but it was self-inflicted they are saying and that's really the only reason why he might have had mental health issues that people aren't going into it's not really our business but now he's of course included onto the list which is really sad because now he's a fresh face onto it which yeah makes that very depressing um especially with we know how mental health and uh drug addiction is treated in the wrestling world so it's very prominent. it's a shame that in 2021 that still is going on with those wrestlers of years past yeah but uh, yes. sad stuff. Yep. Um, but onto the show, um, we get some generic rock music that we are going to hear throughout this entire show. 
Um, it plays a lot of wrestlers to the ring. I'm assuming they either dubbed it to get rid of the silence or dubbed music over, but it's the same song for like 12 different dudes. I was kind of vibing with it. You were? Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was some pretty good uh, garage band rock <laughs> music. Uh, yeah, I kind of sound like my dad's old band. Um, <laughs> Uh, we also get a disco disco ball at the center of the ring, yeah. which I was vibing with. Um, and Bob Cottle and Tony Schiavone, again, who was on the main announce desk with a little mustache. I love it. Uh, welcome us to the show. Uh, and they shoot us to Johnny Weaver, who's in the back, who fumbles all of his lines, which yes. I thought was very funny. We get a shot back to the, uh, the announcers as they say, everyone rise for the national anthem. And then we get back a shot back to Johnny Weaver, who's just standing there holding the microphone, looking at the camera. Which, Not- understandably, he's probably confused because he's like, holy shit, this is the first time production <laughs> has their shit together enough to play the Star Spangled Banner before any of the matches and not randomly in the middle of the show. It's true, but I don't think they were supposed to cut back to him. <laughs> so, speaking of the generic rock music, however, this plays uh, two men out to the ring uh, for the first match. And yes, two men. It plays both of these opponents together so we get the vacant mid-atlantic heavyweight championship match between between crusher khrushchev and sam houston uh crusher khrushchev is billed from russia but uh wrestling fans would know him most notably as demolition smash of the wwf tag team demolition or um after demolition broke up in the early 90s he was repo man which if you've ever watched a what culture video uh Simon from What Culture absolutely loves the Repo Man. For reasons I'll never understand, because that's a dumbass gimmick. Yeah. But it's not dumber than this one. And after the match, we'll get into why this is so dumb. So a little bit of background about this show. Um, they did it, as I said, at two different locations. Uh, so we go from location to location. So the first match is in North Carolina. Um, and then I'll try and get into what matches are where as we continue. I have a question for you, though, about yes. the show. So, they're switching back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, same commentary team for both, right? So, yes. I'm assuming that they are showing both audiences, like, the other matches on a screen? Yeah, so what happens is you're in, say, so the first match is in North Carolina. So, right. if you're at the Omni in Atlanta, what happens is um, at the, the scoreboard, if you will, or at the top, screens will drop down on all sides, like a four-sided oh, okay. screen. Um, and you can watch the match. That's what they would do for the older pay-per-views, like WrestleMania. You could go to an arena, pay price of a ticket, and watch WrestleMania on drop-down screens. Right. Um, so, yeah, they're doing that. And then, of course, when they shoot to Atlanta for the next match, screens go up, and the screens go down in North Carolina, so on and okay. so forth. Seems a little exhausting. A little uh, tedious. Yeah, but pretty cool idea. Um, it's something that Vince McMahon stole, completely stole, for WrestleMania two, which we'll get to in a few weeks. Yes. But that takes place in three cities. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, they've never really done it since. I mean, I think the NWA did it a couple more times, but that was also in the 80s. So no one's ever really done something since. I guess the most notable would be AEW doing the match at Daly's Place, but then also going to TIA Field, which is the same building, but it's yeah. also not, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, so. because like, the crowd isn't like moving with them. Right. So uh, Shivani and... Coddle are in Atlanta. They're not in North Carolina. But on to our first match, the North Carolina match. Uh, So the Vans boo the Vans. The fans boo the living crap out of Khrushchev because naturally he's Russian. And then they go apeshit for the American uh, Sam Houston. He starts to throw jabs. Houston frustrates the big man by leapfrogging him a bunch of times as he gets taken to the mat with the head scissors. 
Houston then takes Khrushchev down to the, with an arm drag and can clearly, I noticed this right away, you can clearly see Crusher Khrushchev saying what the next sequence of the match was and then they like shake heads and then like Khrushchev like taps him on the shoulder which is not a thing you would do in a wrestling match. You're not going to be like, all right, bud, good job. But he does it. <laughs> all right, let's do this. Yeah, uh, which the next thing is a big backdrop because Houston goes flying through the air. Uh, it's at this point, Olivia, um, I realize that both competitors are dressed in red, and this complements the mustard yellow jumpsuit of the referee. Ooh, yes. This is your favorite referee, by the way. You talked about him in Starcade 83 wearing that very 70s outfit. It's that same guy wearing a completely yellow jumpsuit. I and love it. And it was the ugliest thing I've ever seen, but you <laughs> loved it. So He's really there to make a statement, he okay? Really, he really was. Um, Khrushchev <laughs> heads to the top rope, but he gets nutted after a Houston dropkick. Houston then thinks he wins after a bulldog, but the crusher has his foot on the ropes, leading to the big Russian to become the champion, even though Houston unbeknownst to the referee, has his foot on his ropes. He was probably thinking, oh my god, how do I look like a big old glob of mustard? Yeah. And didn't see the foot. But anyway, what did you think of our opener? Um, this match was alright. I did have to note that the crowd was pretty jazzed for this match. I think, overall, that really doesn't mean much in the long run, because the crowd gets jazzed over literally anything. Well, we won't spoil it, but in the main event... There is some jazzing going on oh, by yeah. one particular individual in the crowd. Yes. And I think that, uh, yeah, that, that ruined that for me. But anyways, <laughs> back to this back to this match. Um, I felt as though, like, not much happened in, like, the first part of the match. You know, they kind of, like, make a few rounds of the ring before they even touch each other. Mm-hmm. And then after that, not much happens. So there wasn't really much to note. Um... And I didn't catch the first time that this was supposed to be sort of like a purposefully flubbed match. So I was like, what kind of like playbook are the officiants <laughs> playing, you know, reading out of, following for this N- NWA show? Because they're kind of flip flopping on the rules here. Um, but of course, that was intentional. Yeah. So I gave this a 2.5 out of 5 just because it was okay. It was an all right opener. <laughs> I thought this match was pretty boring, honestly. Yeah. I mean, like, the crowd seemed jazzed for it, but they were, like you said, jazzed for pretty much anything. Um, the North, the NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship is just a nothing title for the most part. This was back when the NWA was like, let's have, like, 14 different titles. And it's like, we don't need them. You need a heavyweight title, you need a mid-card title, you need tag team titles. They try their damnedest to make every, almost every match a title match. Yeah, which, we'll get kudos the, to them, but it doesn't mean much when everyone has a title. But I think this also was the time where uh, territories were still trying to hang on to everything. So they're right. like, we've got so many titles and the WWF doesn't. Guess who won that war? So... But anyway, I gave it a 2 out of 5. I thought it was just very boring. Uh, the referee's suit was distracting to me, and that should not be a thing. So he is not going to win the tire of the night from me. I'm just being completely That's honest. Unfortunate. Yeah. So I know he would from you, uh, <laughs> but not. He was there to make a statement. He okay. really was. Speaking of making a statement, we move on to Atlanta in the Omni, where we get our Mexican death match. Between Abdullah the Butcher, who was accompanied by gentleman Paul Jones, and the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez. So, what is a Mexican death match? Well, pretty much, it is a mix between a no-disqualification match and a something-on-a-pole match. Which I didn't get at first. I just heard them say there was no disqualification to this match. But then I looked in the corner, and there was a... Because it's a Mexican 
deathmatch. Yeah. There's a sombrero hanging on a pole. Oh, yeah. Which I don't really know how to gauge this one because that is incredibly not okay. But at the same time, I... This is so... Uh, this is probably not the last time I'm going I'm to say this <laughs> on this show and particularly this episode. This is so 80s because it is so extra to the nth degree that like did we like really need this stipulation no did they put it like did they make this match a stipulation match anyways yes they did and it's gonna be sort of a mashup of a couple of different types of stipulations because i guess that's more riveting than just like an odq match or like but except like, the butcher match. he's always known for making people bleed and stuff beside the point which honestly <laughs> I'm going to point out, actually doesn't mean much on this show because one person in every match. Except for one, I think. Except for, like, maybe one match. There was always a bleeder, okay? And that made me think to myself, like, you know, the people who are, like, real big fans, like the golden era of wrestling, oftentimes will, like, criticize the Attitude Era because, oh, it's too gruesome. So much sex. It's so so in your face. It's so much. And I'm like, did you... Are we watching the same... 80s wrestling because I don't think we are because 80s at least in the NWA all about blood all about the extraness mm-hmm. um and this is not any less than I've seen from the Attitude Era yeah um <laughs> it's it's not the best especially the Mexican death match yeah uh, this however Olivia is not the worst on a pole match I've ever seen. Oh, even really? with the sombrero because not only did WCW do a Viagra on a pole match. They did not. They did. Stop. And I'm pretty Stop. sure that was on pay-per-view. Was it a pack or a pill? Pack. Uh, interesting. Um, okay. It was like a bottle, I guess. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Um, Which, do we, I mean, is an interesting stipulation when you think about it because it's like, do you want to admit that you have erectile dysfunction by going? I can't remember the, the participants, but I remember. I think it was a young wrestler okay. versus an older wrestler, hence the Viagra part. Oh, but okay. I can't remember exactly what it was. Oh, but so there we're was being a super. We're going from racism to ageism. Yes, but there's one gotcha. worse. There's a worse <laughs> on a pole match, and it is. I think this one took place on Nitro, so we might never cover it unless I'm like, let's cover this particular Nitro. Right. But it was Judy Bagwell, yes, Buff Bagwell's mother, on a forklift (laughs) match. Stop. Stop. Oh my god. Which is just just shows where WCW was in 2000. Even as a wrestling fan, I'm saying, oh my god, imagine explaining this to somebody who doesn't watch wrestling. These are the things that we try to skip over. We're like, it's really (laughs) good when you don't watch this It's really good except. (laughs) When you don't watch this crap. But then again, WCW in 2000 was not good. We should get back to this. yeah. (laughs) So we've given you our stipulation. We've given you our competitors. Um, I I did make a uh, very funny note where I put, Olivia asks, what the fuck is a Mexican death match? Literally right before the announcer said it, so... That was that was very funny that you had you had said that. Um, we get some very generic sounding Neil Young style blues to play out the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, um, and Abdullah attacks the bull before the bell rings. He goes right after right into his pants and brings out that shiv, that knife, that fork, whatever the hell he would do, and just p- starts stabbing him in the face. Uh, so he's bleeding three seconds into the match. Naturally, um, sorry that I sound like Rick from Rick and Morty. Uh, Fernandez somehow 
puts a monkey flip onto Abdullah the Butcher, um, which if you've ever seen Abdullah the Butcher, you'll know why that's impressive, because he's like yes. at least 360 pounds of just flub. Um, Fernandez then takes off his boot and busts open Abdullah with his heel of his boot, which I'm not sure was fake, because um, that could easily do that. Uh, Abdullah climbs the turnbuckle to retrieve the sombrero, uh, but Fernandez knocks him off and continues to <clears throat> lay the boots into him, if you will. Uh, somehow, Fernandez suplexes Abdullah, again, impre- incredibly uh, impressive, uh, but misses a splash. Luckily, as Abdullah is incapacitated after a missed shoulder block, Fernandez retrieves the sombrero to end what I hope is the only Mexican death match we ever cover on the show. Yeah. But Olivia, I am dying to know. What did you think of this one? So, I believe this is the first and only Mexican death match I've ever watched. Um, you know, al- although this seemed to be like a crowd favorite, when you break down the actual match um, in its entirety, not a whole lot happens. We get a couple of impressive spots where the ca- crowd gets really jazzed. Um, you know, earlier we mentioned that, like, every single match on this card has some blood in it, and this one is, like, absolutely no exception. Um, but there were just, like, few executed moves, and plus, like, the stipulation was pretty shaky, not only in conception, but in execution, so I wasn't a fan of this. I gave this, I feel like this was kind of generous, but I gave it a 2 out of 5. That was pretty generous, but I also thought my grade was generous, and I gave it a 1.5. I mean, it was not a great match. I thought the suplex was impressive, as well as the monkey flip. Um, But you can't have Abdullah in a match like this, because he's a well-known, not-good wrestler. So you have to put him in these hardcore scenarios where you're like, whoa, that's insane. Yeah. You didn't really do that here. I think the most hardcore thing about the match was the sombrero. So, yeah, I gave it a 1.5. It was not the best match. You know, and before we move on, this makes me ponder that I feel as though... (laughs) Because of gimmicky stuff like this, and because of competitors like Abdullah the Butcher, I feel as though, like, today, like, in order for you as a wrestler to become considered, like, a legend, you have to do so much more than these men did back then, you know what it's I mean? true, yeah. Like, every time, you know, somebody, I, maybe it's just as time goes on, like, more people out of that group start to be considered legendary because of, like, the nostalgia or the reflection or, you know, you kind of, like, look into the past with, like, rose-colored glasses or whatever. But I feel as though there are a lot of, like, really strong competitors in wrestling today where, like, back then there really wasn't, but because the crowd just, like, lost their mind over everything, they just remember it way more fondly than it actually happened. Oh, my God, he's pulling out his fork. That's what he was known (laughs) for. But no one else did it, so you got to give him that. So we're back in North Carolina. Uh, Johnny Weaver is interviewing the new Mid-Atlantic champion, Krasa Khrushchev, who is cutting a promo about how Russians are superior athletes, but he has no Russian accent. He is completely no. speaking uh, English um, in a American accent, I would call it. because Most there was a American Russian yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, so this was silly. Um, I know he was with the Kolok brothers, like the, the Russians, yeah. but he was not Russian, so... Not the first time wrestling has made a person who is not the nationality or even race of uh, that be portrayed by, you know. So uh, we'll get to those later. Those will be real fun. (laughs) Do you remember when Chavo Guerrero was Kerwin White and he was a white guy? Yes. And he, he would say, and I kid you not, guys, his catchphrase was white is right. Which just like, what were you guys thinking with that one? And then, I mean, the only good thing that came out of Eddie Guerrero dying was Chavo Guerrero was no longer Kerwin White, 
Wasn't there a tag team also that like rode out on like lawnmowers or something? The Mexicools, yeah. Yes. Um, it was Juventud Guerrera, Psicosis, and Super Crazy, which I thought I always liked them from ECW, but that was also very offensive. What a gimmick! Yep. So anyway, back to back to this. We get another gimmick match: match a Texas bull rope match between Cowboy Ron Bass and Black Bart, who was accompanied by James J. Dillon. If Bass wins, he gets five minutes in the ring with another bull rope match with J.J. Dillon. So uh, as they come out, J.J. is rocking a tuxedo t-shirt because... He wants to be formal, but he's here to party. Yes, indeed. Uh, Bass immediately makes Bart bleed by cracking him open with cowbell, so there's just blood immediately. Um, if you don't know what a bull rope match is, it's when there's a, I'd say, 10, 12-foot bull rope tied by each end on their wrists, and then there's a cowbell in the middle. So you can strangle your opponent, you can beat them with the cowbell. And that's really all this match was. Would you say they've got a fever and the only prescription is more cowbell? Son of a bitch, I walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> uh, this match uh, literally consists of punches on each other, strangulation with a rope, and enough blood to excite the, uh, the brood. That's an Attitude Era reference right there. Bart misses a clothesline. He tumbles to the floor, allowing Bass to crack him uh, off the apron with an axe handle. Uh, after a few more shots to the face, uh, Bass then pins Black Bart. So that was a pretty much nothing match. Yeah. And I'm just going to count these as just one match because technically they're two, but it's just all one scenario. So Dylan immediately gets in the ring, starts to beat the crap out of his former uh, subject that he used to manage. Dylan gets his strap on and uh, quickly tries to go for a pin, but Bass kicks out. Bass then begins to beat down Dylan with the cowbell, busting him open. So naturally, everyone's bleeding. And Bass has Dylan pinned, but the referee gets knocked down, leading to Bart to hit a pal driver. So J.J. Dillon defeats Cowboy Ron Bass in his Texas Bull Rope match. But Olivia, what did you think of this whole scenario? <sighs> well, um, <laughs> I kind of hate this stipulation to begin with. And the reason why is because it, it's another one of those that is a very much as seen on TV where it kind of is sold to you as something that's very spectacular, but in all actuality, it's just kind of like overpriced plastic. Um, <laughs> and I, this is kind of the same where like, they just, they're just like, wow, the spectacular name of a Texas bull rope match, you know? And it's kind of gruesome and brutal because they're like hitting each other with a cowbell and like they're tied to this rope or whatever. But, like, not a lot goes on. Like, this, like, minus the rope, it's, like, basically, like, a street fight that occurs in the middle of the ring, um, where there's just, like, a lot of punching and a lot of kicking. Um, of course, you know, no exception, lots of bleeding. So, I kind of hated this. No offense to all of these competitors in this match, but I gave this a 1.5 out of 5. Oh, you didn't even like JJ getting the surprise win? No, at the end? No, not that, really. That's no. what gave, that's what put this into better graces okay. than the rest of it because the first match technically was bad but i like when a like skeevy shitty manager gets in the ring and like wins right because he's such a coward he can't really fight back even though jj dylan did fight back here um so i gave it a two just because like the funniness of jj dylan beating this man because he was already beat down and then he had to have his subject come in and finish off the match for him so i gave it a two which isn't great but yeah. it's also not the worst and forgive us if you hear some thunder uh, because it is supposed to storm here, so we might have to be dealing with that. So we move on to our next match in Atlanta. This is also technically a two-part match. 
Because the first part is an arm wrestling match. An arm wrestling Between match. superstar Billy Graham and the Barbarian, who is accompanied by Paul Jones. And Billy Graham enters the ring to a bad dubbed version of, like, a remix of Europe's The Final Countdown, which I appreciated. Because, like, it's a pretty dope album. Um, some good 80s hair metal right there. Is, it's is, the only song I know by that. There's a really good one they had called Cherokee that does not sound as offensive as the name. What title, I promise gotcha. you. Um, anyway, so before they get onto the table to do their arm wrestling, the Barbarian says, oh, I have a broken right hand. So they have to use their left hands. And I'm going to just spoil it right now. I loved this kayfabe arm wrestling match they were having. Because yeah? like, the Barbarian is like winning for the most part because Billy Graham is obviously older. Um, but then, like, right when his hand's about to hit, he just powers into it. He, like, hulks up, essentially, and then gets the Barbarian's hand onto the other side of the table and wins. And I just thought that was so funny because there are, and it's more funny because the crowd bought into every single one of it as if this was the most real arm wrestling match They of all sold time. it really well. Yeah, and I thought that was a lot of fun because it proves that wrestling fans, we really are dumb sometimes. And we'll be like, oh, my God, how is he going to come back? Again, not something that you would want to show uh, a non-wrestling fan as an example of wrestling, but a nice added factor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So after Graham wins, uh, Jones immediately gets in the ring and cracks his face with the cane, and the match starts. The regular match starts. Um, Naturally, immediately, Billy Graham was bleeding because he got hit in the face with a cane. This is four for four, by the way, if you haven't noticed, on blood in matches. Uh, the Barbarian lives up to his name. He claws at Graham's wounds and then lays into him with punches and kicks. Uh, Hulk Ho- I mean, sorry. Uh, Superstar Billy Graham hulks up, um, but it doesn't really last very long. So Barbarian starts to kick him more. The Barbarian goes for a top rope headbutt but misses, allowing Graham to lock in his patented bear hug. As the Barbarian is close to passing out, Jones cracks him in the face with the cane, leading to Graham win via disqualification. So Olivia, what did you think of our arm wrestling slash single smash that we got here. Um, again, I'm a little confused with the official rules and regulations that the officiants <laughs> are following. Because, you know, arm wrestling match aside, which I do agree they sold pretty well, um, the crowd got, like, weirdly jazzed over that, which, I mean, like, whatever. You know, once they moved into the actual match itself... Uh, the ending for me was a little bit shaky just because, I don't know, should this have technically been like a DQ? Because even Tony Schiavone on commentary was like, was that a disqualification question mark? Um, so I was like, I don't know, Tony, you're supposed to be the one to tell me. You tell us, Tony. Yeah, what do you mean? And that's, (laughs) that's the one thing that I noticed with, um, obviously Tony this time, but, um. It's Tony time? Yeah, with the commentary in the past, with, like, Jesse Ventura, where, like, even themselves, like, I don't know if they don't have, like, communication with, like, the production backstage. Is there a production backstage that's communicating with the commentary table to be like, hey, this is how the match ends. So, like, don't question whether it's, like, a DQ or not. Because me, as somebody who's watching it, I'm like, I I don't know, Tony. (laughs) You tell me. Should it have been a DQ? Was it supposed to be? Um, so... I give this a 2 out of 5. It was okay. I like this one. I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, not the best wrestling in the world, but just like from a kayfabe standpoint. Just super fun. And this was one where I kind of got into it with the crowd. Yeah? Even though I'm just like, I know. My brain knows. <laughs> but it's also like, oh my god, who's going to win? Uh, so I had fun with this. I thought up to this point, it's the best match of the night. Um, so I really? thought it was a, I thought it was a 3 just because wow. it was super fun. And the Barbarian, who we'll cover more 
um, down the line. I thought was it back in the day was a pretty underrated big guy. He was able to fly off the top rope, which back then, if you're like six foot six and can go off the top rope, it's like, oh my god, that's insane. And now people do it all the time, but. To see it back then, you were like probably had your mind blown. So I gave it, a, I gave it a three. I, I kind of okay. honestly think I would have loved it more if it was just arm wrestling and that was all it was. Because then I'd be like, yeah, this is camp right here. I love this. Do you want to know my favorite arm wrestling story in, in WWE history? What's that? It takes place in two thousand three. Let me take you back to January of oh three. Triple H, World Heavyweight Champion, Scott Steiner comes in to the company, challenges him for the title. Before the match. Matches happen, though, like on Raw. Triple H challenges three weeks in a row Scott Steiner to not only an arm wrestling match that he naturally cheats to win, but he challenges him to a push-up contest and then also, like, a a, a bodybuilding, like, contest. Like, they're in, like, tight, even smaller tights than they would normally well wear and, like, are doing bodybuilding in the ring. And it is some of the funniest yet most awkward television ever. <laughs> and, like... I just, I cannot believe that I'm like, oh my god, I love Triple H so much, but please stop doing this. <laughs> so, uh, those will be fun to revisit when yeah. we get to that time. Alright, back into North Carolina, we get our stupidly named NWA National Heavyweight Championship match. Uh, our champion Terry Taylor taking on the fake nature boy Buddy Landell with J.J. Dillon. Olivia, do you know what the N in NWA stands for? national yeah so this is the national wrestling alliance's national heavyweight championship because they can't be like they they already have a world championship right and they're like well we need another heavyweight championship that's just fucking stupid just why do you have so many titles anyway uh we will cover all of these guys later down the line as well but let's get into this match uh the fake nature boy locks in some really early rest holds, uh, much to the chagrin of the fans, uh, but Taylor fights out, jabs to the face. Terry Taylor at this point is like the fresh face, like new, muscular, blonde, young guy. One's like, woo, we're super happy, you look like every other dude in the 80s. Um, pretty good wrestler, though. Anyway, uh, he also joined the WWF later, and instead of just going by ta- Terry Taylor, Vince thought it was a great idea to dye the tips of his hair, spike that part up, so he's got a mullet with the spiked little part and call him the Red Rooster. Ah. Those were fun. All right. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to that very soon, actually. Anyway, uh, Taylor takes Landell to the mat, attempting to wrestle his shoulders to the mat, but gives up after a few tries. Landell then gets Taylor in the corner, uh, laying in some chops before running into his boot. Taylor gets the hell of a lot more offense than I assumed a face would get in a match like this. Utilizes body slams and a leg drop. Dylan throws Landell the championship, and somehow the ref, who's looking right at it, does not see the belt come directly at his face. Uh, the ref is down at this point. Taylor reverses an Irish rip, whip sorry, directly into Dylan, who cracks the wrestler with his shoe. And then Taylor attempts to execute a superplex, but as he's leaving the turnbuckle for the rotation, Dylan grabs his foot, allowing Landell to land on top of him and win the NWA National Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Olivia, what did you think of this match? This was actually pretty refreshing, despite not knowing either of these competitors before watching this show. Um, it honestly, like, wasn't bad. You know, the crowd gets refreshed with, like, some technical and traditional wrestling with, like, some high-flying sprinkled in there. Um, and uh, I actually really enjoyed this. Um, and I love that the end result got the crowd riled up in a different way. They were pretty pissed. Uh, but that is sort of like a good thing because it can get pretty tiring as like a wrestling fan to always be like, 
Woo! I'm so excited about the outcome of this match! Um, which we'll obviously get later in the main event. Um, but, uh, <laughs> with the one woo guy. Uh, but yeah, this one was enjoyable. I like this. I gave this a three out of five. All right. I gave it a three out of five as well. Uh, two very good wrestlers here that are pretty well known in the wrestling world. Um, I actually just checked his age. Buddy Landell, who unfortunately has passed away. I think he died about five or six years ago. Uh, he was only like 24 at this time. So he was also pretty young. He died in 2010, Oh, I think. okay. Well, never mind. He died a while ago. But beside the point, um, you asked why he was calling himself the nature boy. Beside the fact that he would come out in a large feathered robe and had platinum blonde hair and wore kind of similar trunks to Ric Flair, he was saying that the old is out. He is the real nature boy, gotcha. essentially. Okay. Which made no sense to me, even though I like kind of remember this story and then like looked it up as well. But, I mean, there's only, you know... Ric Flair is the nature boy. Like, you haven't beat him for right. anything, so... I also we'll think sure I lied to you. I think he actually died in 2015. Okay. It was either 2010 or 2015. Okay, well, sure. I mean, I have him right here, so I'm going to look right now. Uh, June 22nd, 2015. So almost six gotcha. years ago. Gotcha, okay. Um, but yeah, um, I thought this was a solid match um, by two very up-and-coming wrestlers at this time. So for them, they put on a solid one. I give that a three as well. Uh, we then move back to Atlanta. I keep forgetting where we're going. Uh, where we get the NWA National Tag Team Championships. So this isn't the NWA World Tag Team Championships. No. It's the National Tag National Team Championships. Tag Team Champions. We get the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Arn and Ole Anderson, our champions, taking on Wahoo McDaniel and Billy Jack Haynes. Uh, I always love that Arn and Ole Anderson are called the Anderson Brothers, but they are not actually related, even though they look exactly alike. It is actually very strange how this... Someone just... Someone saw them and was like, ah, put those two together. Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which was very smart, because unlike, you know, Bubba Ray and Devon, they actually look like brothers. I mean, to be fair, I'm I'm a dumb wrestling fan. I thought forever, I was like, yeah, Kane and Undertaker are definitely brothers. Like, what do you mean? Oh, sweet baby angel. <laughs> At least you didn't think the Dudley boys were really brothers like I did. That was, that made me a fucking idiot. Um, anyway, so Billy Jack Haynes drops Arn to the floor as the match begins and takes it to Ole with uh, a series of punches. Wahoo gets the tag, and this allows the Minnesota Wrecking Crew to begin to beat down their older challenger. Wahoo McDaniel's like in his late 40s at this point. Wahoo then attempts to fight back with chops, uh, but his arm had been worked over earlier, uh, so he does not able he's not able to connect with them completely. He does, however, get the tag to Billy Jack Haynes, who gives the Andersons a double noggin knocker. Uh, Ole then trips up Wahoo, uh, holds his leg down, and on the out, on the outside as Anderson scores the pinfall victory to retain. Their tag team championships. Olivia, what did you think of this match? You know, I don't really have much to say about this match. Not really because not a lot went on. Um, it just, I can best define this as like just very classic tag team wrestling. Um, especially more of the 80s type where it's a combination of like traditional with like some high flying in there. And this was like a good follow up to like the refresher match that we got before. So I also really enjoyed this one and I gave it a three out of five. All right. This is the kind of tag match that like FTR is juicing their pants over. They're like, oh, for Dad sure. is wrestling. Yeah. No kicks. This Ugh. is the epitome of yeah. wrestling. It's, it's the pinnacle of um, wrestling. Pinnacle oh, of wrestling. Wrestling. yeah, there I go. <laughs> um, I mean, I expected a little better out of some yeah? of these guys, and I thought this match was just kind of right down the middle okay. Okay. I gave it a 2.5. I did not, like, hate this match, but I also wasn't like, yeah, it's really cool. I know we're going to expect much better from the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, especially further down the line, because, well, I'm not 
I'll go back to this because after the main event, because it's actually really important to not only this event, but wrestling history. So hang on to that. Everyone put a bookmark right there. I'll get back to it after the uh, after that main event. But moving back to North Carolina, we now get our I Quit Steel Cage match for the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship. Our champion, Tolly Blanchard, who was accompanied by Baby Doll, taking on Magnum TA, which I think his name sent you through a fit of hysterics. <laughs> I was confused and amused and just also just making sure that I was spelling that correctly. That I heard it correctly and that I'm spelling it correctly because I'm a really bad speller, but I'm also super deaf. So that's kind of why it gave me a, a double a double take. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, a little <laughs> back, background on Magnum TA because this is actually going to be one of the few times we cover him because he was kind of this straight up and comer in the Jim Crockett promotions, the NWA. He was um, going to start these feuds with all these big names, Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, even Harley Race. Um, but what happened was he was in a car accident in 1986 um, and that severely messed up a lot of nerves in his arms and shoulders into his back. Um, and he, though he did wrestle afterwards, it just started to really just wear him down. He wasn't able to wrestle much later than 1986, so he had to retire at the age of, like, 26 or 27. Damn. So not very old in the wrestling business. But what I mentioned to you was that he was supposed to be, like I said, the next big thing. And with his injury, that let another young up-and-comer start to bust through the ranks. And that guy's name was Sting. So in a weird way, we might not have had the Sting we know nowadays without that Magnum TA accident. However... I don't wish that accent on Magnum right. TA. It really sucks. But because, we got our beloved Steve. Yeah, he was a pretty good wrestler at the time. So anyway, point of this match is you have to make your opponent quit in the ring. Um, and, oh my god, I cannot wait to kind of make fun of this match. Uh, so when they're doing the introductions, um, you know, normally you're like, fighting from this town, weighing this much, the nature boy Ric Flair, and they give him the nickname. Well, the ring announcer goes, from here, this this weight the vastly popular magnum ta and i was like what a fucking random thing to call someone vastly popular yeah and i mean same but <laughs> that's what i should have called you at the beginning the vastly popular <laughs> i just should have thought about that especially because i'll never be able to do it again really yeah uh anywho uh every i noticed at the beginning of this match every single hit whether it's from Tolly to magnum or magnum to Tolly, baby doll on the outside is like screaming her lungs out she's like oh my god because they're like launching each other into the cage she's like ah like, shut up. Just shut up. Luckily, she did. So I just don't understand what the mic setup was around this ring. Because oh, this you was could great. hear a lot. Yeah. I'm assuming people were standing, like, right by the cameraman. I'm assuming so. Because, um, I mean, in a lot of the shots, you can, in this match in particular, you can hear Babe Doll, like, screaming her head off. Which, normally, you wouldn't pick up on. Uh, especially as production gets a lot better as, like, the years go on. Like, you don't really necessarily hear what they're saying ringside. Or screaming ringside. Um, but, damn. Yeah. This, yeah. It, it almost makes it unwatchable. If almost. I'm being honest. Yeah. Oh, and it gets worse later, yes. but we'll get to that. It only gets worse. Uh, so the crowd goes absolutely apeshit when Magnum deadlifts Tolly, then drops him on the ring rope. Magnum gets busted open, because, uh, of course, as Blanchard uh, sends TA into the cage. 
Blanchard then begins to hit Magnum with the microphone that he pulls in, yelling at him to say, I quit. And Magnum, normally in an I quit match, they're like, no, or like, hell no, or something like that. But I swear to God, every time the microphone was stuck in either Tolly or Magnum's face, instead of being like, I don't quit, or no, they literally make this sound. I'm going to have to back away from the mic. They're like, <laughs> Am I wrong? No, you're not. And, like, if I'm the referee, I'm like, did he give up? Or... <laughs> Said it yet? What happened? Because it's not a no. So... It's like, it's like when you ask your... Like, when you're a kid and you ask your mom if you can, like, spend the night at somebody's house. And she goes, well, we'll see. And it's like, so is that a yes? Yeah. A no? That's the only time I'm going to do that voice, by the way. Because my throat hurts so bad after doing that. But that's what both men were doing for a good, like, 12 minutes in this match. Uh, Magnum gains the advantage by straight punching Blanchard around the ring after both men refused to say I quit. They began to pull each other's hair and roll around the ring. So that was a little catty of them both. Kinky. Yeah, yeah. right? Uh, Blanchard throws the ref around the ring and somehow throws... Like, someone throws a chair into the ring from the outside. I don't know who the fuck it was. I don't think Baby Doll did because she was like... I am so glad that you mentioned this because I thought I was kind of going crazy for a second. I was like, did that chair just apparate into the <laughs> ring? No, well, it, it as soon as it hit the ring, it just it imploded. Like, shattered into a million shattered. pieces like some Goodwill wicker furniture. Yeah, it was hilarious. Because it wasn't a steel chair. It was like a wood chair. Yeah. And it just shattered. Luckily, Blanchard improvises, I think. He grabs like a shard of it and uh, starts to like use it as a stake. He's literally trying to kill Magnum TA as if he's like, like, a, he's like a, vampire. a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> like the Buffy theme song was going through my head for a second. <laughs> uh, Magnum fights out of that. He also grabs a shard of the wood and then he digs it into Blanchard's bloody face causing the champion to quit and magnum ta is the new united states champion but olivia what did you think of our i quit still cage match well goofs aside um i liked this there's not a lot happening in the latter half of the match um and they basically like the whole latter half of it is a lot of like kicking and punching and like choking and screaming into the mic um, which is, like, not, like, the greatest thing to listen to or watch. Um, but other than that, I felt, like, overall, like, it was pretty good and pretty entertaining, I would say. So I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. All right. I gave it a 3 out of 5. I thought it was a pretty good cage match okay. between two very good wrestlers. One who, unfortunately, did not get a wrestle for very much longer. Yeah. It really sucks. Um, but good for him to win the championship and whatnot. Um, aside from the fucking ridiculous ways they were screaming into the microphone um i loved the ending where like he is digging that wood i mean obviously like totally's holding it so it's not like piercing his face right. but the way it makes it look it's like oh my god he's stabbing him in the forehead I mean, for real though you'd still get like some pretty good splinters in your hands yeah that's true so um and that was not a very well put together chair as we mentioned yeah um, so i guess it just the- exploded into <laughs> a million pieces yes which i'm gonna just go ahead and say this because of all the blood and just everything that gets spilled all over the match, all over the mat in these matches, like God bless whoever's job it is to clean all of this up. Like you, I think they just throw the sheet away. Probably didn't get paid enough. <laughs> and well, I mean, but like with the, the chair, you're gonna have to pick up all those pieces. You're gonna have to dispose of them. Somebody's gonna have to pick them up at some point. So kudos to you. You were the uns- unsung heroes of '80s wrestling. Yeah, I would agree to that. So I give this a three. Making that. Uh, We move back to Atlanta for, good lord, our Atlanta street fight match. We get the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry, pretty famous tag team of the 80s, accompanied by a very young-looking Jim Cornette. 
Uh, these jackasses are wearing tuxedos, by the way. And they are taking on Jimmy Valiant and Miss Atlanta Lively. Uh, and they're accompanied by Big Mama. And I know what you're thinking. They're, it's an intergender match. They're take, like two dudes are taking on a, another guy and a woman. Yeah. No. No. Miss Atlanta Lively is rugged Ronnie Garvin, a pretty popular wrestler of the 80s. So happy Pride Month, everyone. Yes. Um, because happy we're going to get month. some really offensive transgender things. He's dressed as a full woman in a dress well, and heels. He's in drag. He's in okay. drag. Okay. According to Wikipedia, he was just in drag, yeah. which is, I guess, acceptable? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, not if you're not a drag queen. I mean, who knows, though? I mean, he was pretty committed to it. And he kept the outfit on the whole time. I tried to look up why he was dressed like this. There is no... There is no explanation. Yeah, he just did it. Anybody out there, if you could just, like, shoot us a DM on Instagram or, like, comment on one of our posts, like, explaining. I'm going to need somebody to, do, somebody to do some deep diving on why Miss Atlanta Lively exists in this match. Probably for the stipulation only. But did she compete in other matches? Did he just go back to Ron after that and never compete in drag again? Is this our, like singular instance of of a man competing in drag you know oh god um, no we'll get we'll, we'll get to that in <laughs> wwf um can't wait for those ones anyway um the midnight express attempt to attack the faces from behind but instead they eat a face full of baby powder they must have just known they were going to try and attack them uh so for some reason um dennis country is like bleeding but all the only thing that happened to him is he got hit in the face with yeah. baby powder so maybe he got, like, clocked in the face with, like, the bottle. I don't know, but he's, like, busted wide-ass open. Um, they all fight on the outside. Uh, Eaton is also busted open, uh, but at least he was thrown around, like, on the outside. So you could be like, oh, he hit his face on something. That makes sense. Uh, more baby powder is thrown, as all four men have officially been doused with baby powder because now the Midnight Express have baby powder, for God knows what reason. Everybody's covered in baby powder. Yeah, there's just baby powder and blood everywhere in this match because everyone's bleeding and there's baby powder. Uh, this match gets even more awkward as the Midnight Express pants lively and Valiant then rips the tuxedos off of all of them. Uh, you know, there's an old joke, like wrestling is very homoerotic. This is a very homoerotic match. Happy Pride Month, Happy everybody. Pride Month, everyone. Uh, Cornette then enters the match and he hits lively with his racket and his pawns then begin to double team lively. But after a strange sequence of moves, uh, the face team wins the match, I guess. Um, and then they can then they pull Jim Cornette on the match and strip him down to his underwear. Yeah. Um, so this is another you mentioned. This is something you don't show people who don't watch wrestling. Right. This is a match I will never no. show. This is wouldn't be a match I would show someone who does watch wrestling. <laughs> I won't be like, hey Olivia, let's put on that Atlanta Street Fight from Stargate oh, '85. Sure. <laughs> uh, but God, what did you think of this match? Oh, this was like a hot mess <laughs> from start to finish, and there were so many moments where I asked myself like. Am I really a wrestling fan? Am I really in this? And, uh, you know, my answer to that is... Mm, question mark? If I could get an answer as to what an Atlanta street fight actually is, besides the semi-homophobic and racial, like, you know, intentions on this, uh, on this stipulation, if I can get some answers on that... Um, I could probably answer that question for you. Ah, oh, God, I hated this. This is another one of those, and I'm like, did we really need to include this in the card? Like, 
all the, I mean, I understand these are taking place in like two different locations, but we've already got so many matches in the card. Like, is this really necessary to like pad out the show? Do we really need this? Nay. And did these, did these competitors really need all of this extraness to, to make the match entertaining? I mean, I'm not gonna lie, love the fact that they kind of, uh, humiliated Jim Cornette by, by stripping him down to his underwear. Yeah, that's but, always uh, fun. That's always fun. Um, but yeah, this one, oof, was bad. Yeah, 1.5 out of 5. Oof. A mess, both in conception and execution. Um, yeah, that's that's being way too damn nice. Um, I gave this a straight up zero. Oh, this is wow. terrible. <laughs> um, and I forgot to mention, I don't know if it happened at this point yet, if it was later down the line. But um, Ronnie Garvin, Miss Atlanta Lively, hurt himself. Uh, former world champion. Yeah. Former NWA world champion. Would win it in September of 1987. So, good God, at least your career went upwards. Yeah, Ron, you had big things coming after yeah. this. <laughs> you were owed it. I, I bet he was like, I'll do it if you let me be champion for like a day. But again, like what was the... I mean, they already had somebody like coming out with them to the ring that was, I guess, supposed to be, like, a part of, like, the... Yeah, Big Mama, who I can't find anything on, by the way. Mm-hmm. So. I was also questioning to myself the whole time, and this is legitimate, whether... Since we've already got uh, a really known wrestler in full drag, the woman that was accompanying them to the ring, Big Mama, which we can't find any information on... I just went back and forth as to whether that woman was actually black or was in blackface. I think she was black. And I shouldn't have to question that in wrestling, but I do because there are so many wrestlers who either are pretty much borderline blackface, intentionally doing blackface, or like have such a bad spray tan that it like practically is like bad spray tan on Ross Geller levels. Okay. <laughs> So, um, to just put it in perspective for you, this match left me with a lot of questions. Indeed it did, but luckily we'll move on from this zero-star match that I just had to go through. We now move on to our semi-main event. The main event in Greensboro, North Carolina, our steel cage match for the NWA World Tag Team Championships. Our champions, Ivan and Nikita Koloff, taking on, uh, with Crusher Khrushchev taking on the Rock and Roll Express of Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton with Don Kernodal. Uh We actually covered the Rock and Roll Express on a more modern episode at Full Gear 2019, we where did. somehow Ricky Morton's old ass did a Canadian Destroyer onto either Santana or Ortiz. I don't know which member he did it on. But yeah, it's pretty cool to see them in AEW yeah. in 2019, because they are um, what people, just, people would say they are the tag team of the 80s that never went to the WWF. So... Here we are with our first real look into them. Uh, I noticed as the match starts that even though they're in the steel cage, which is pressed very tightly up against the ring, yeah. the partners have to get in the corner for tags in a cage match, which has never been the case in my recollection, but here we are with that. So the match starts quick uh, with Morton running directly into a massive shoulder block from Makita. Uh, Rock and Roll Express then show off their high-flying maneuvers, hitting a crossbody and a dropkick that light the, crowd, light the crowd on fire. And you got to keep in mind, back then, a crossbody and a dropkick were like the high-flying moves. Right. Like you, you were like, oh my god, how did he get up that high? And then you're like, quite easily, actually. <laughs> but uh, they throw Ivan into the cage a few times. Uh, guess what, Olivia? He starts bleeding because there's no blood. Way. I know, crazy, right? 
they then proceed to make quick tags and land some axe handles onto the Russian bear. Nikita then gets the coldest hot tag I've ever seen in my life, and he begins to throw Gibson into the cage, naturally busting him open as well. The Russians then brutalize Gibson for many minutes, and this, Olivia, and listeners at home, is traditional Rock and Roll Express wrestling, as Gibson always had the crowd literally eating out of the palm of his hand, waiting for him to get a hot tag after he's beaten down forever. Um, which, of course, he then gets, and the crowd explodes. Explodes um, As Morton gets that hot tag, he then schoolboys up Ivan, um, who did not know he got the tag, and he and Gibson, just out of nowhere, are the new tag team champions. Then after the match, absolute shenanigans include the three Russians beating down Gibson with a steel chain in the ring. Uh, but Olivia, what did you think of our steel cage match? Our North Carolina main event, if you will. Um, this was interesting for a variety of reasons. Um, interesting being the least interesting word ever to use to describe this. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy to me when you have a show that not only has two, they choose to have two steel cage matches, um, but this one is the tag team, which I, in retrospect, like, I don't think I've seen a ton. Like, I've seen, obviously seen other, like, tag team steel cage matches, but this is kind of surprising for the 80s. I'm not going to lie. Um, but then also, like, not so surprising at the same time, if that makes sense. Uh, but we get a lot of, like, very, at least in the, uh, beginning parts of the match, we get a lot of, like, very traditional, um, uh, very 80s-style tag team wrestling. Really, what more is there to say to describe that? Um, and then we get, like, them taking a little bit of advantage of the fact that it's a no-DQ match, but overall, like, they, both parties choose to, like, not really kind of invoke that and try to like take it to the next level i mean of course we get bleeding you know that's kind of i guess standard for the show at this point especially with the rock and roll express <laughs> yeah so i gave this a three out of five just because it was very riveting uh kept my attention didn't like capture my attention necessarily but it kept my attention and it's interesting that they decided to do two steel cage matches which actually enjoyed both of them yeah they were back to back if i'm not mistaken no. right and well they were back to back in north carolina I mean, right like, yeah yeah so they were just like we're gonna put that mat a cage they're down like we don't want to take it down yeah, and put it back up exactly <laughs> uh, i really like this match i love the old rock and roll express tag team motif even though it's it's kind of like a slasher movie every single one of them is pretty close to the same but right. yeah, they're different enough where you're like i enjoy this so i gave it a four Really, really dug it. Uh, the ending was a little strange just because that's how he ended up winning it, which I guess is smart. That's good tag team wrestling. Um, and I just really didn't like the beatdown at the end because, like, it's just kind of rare. And then, like, uh, Don Cronodal and Crusher Khrushchev were on the outside as, like, the, the seconds for the tag team, if you will. Um, and then it just randomly cuts to Don Cronodal, and he's, like, on the outside, on the floor, bleeding. <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened. Um, but he's just like, ah, and very strange moment there. Uh, very. So I gave it a four. I think this is the best match that happened in North Carolina. Okay. Definitely. Um, so yeah, uh, we move on to our actual main event, the match that I thought during the Starcade 84 match we were going to get, but I was wrong. We actually get it here in 1985. And this is the NWA World Heavyweight Championship match. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, our champion, taking on the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And naturally they have those really... Massive entrances where, you know, Dusty dances to the ring and gets the crowd all lady titty. And Flair has his very somber, 
yet high profile entrance with small fireworks. Very and beige. a very beautiful white robe with purple knee pads and purple trunks. And then white boots, which I did not yeah. expect from him. I'm going to always talk about his attire, whether he wins attire of the night or not. Because 80s and 90s Ric Flair is just impossible to beat. So the match starts. We get a chop battle, which escalates to a punch battle, which then escalates to slaps as Dusty literally just slaps Ric Flair right around the face, drops him to the floor, and dances around the ring. Dusty begins to lay in, in his patent bionic elbows on Flair, frustrating the champion. I began to get frustrated because this is the point in the match, like literally a minute in, and I'm just going to nip this in the bud now. There's this dude. I don't know where he's located, but if I could go back in time, I, will find I would you. go to this time. I will punch this motherfucker in the throat and kick him in the balls because everything Dusty Rhodes does, he starts going, woo, woo, and he's not doing like a Ric Flair woo. I know that's what you're thinking. Like, oh, is he going like, woo, for Ric Flair? No, he's going, woo, 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 non-fucking-stop the whole match. This is a 20-minute match, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, and this prick, whoever you, if you're listening, if you're one of our very small group of listeners, thank you, everyone, by the way, fuck off. Don't be our listener. <laughs> I hate you. And I and anyone else who does this in the future, like cheering is great. Cheering is awesome. But be part of the cheer. Don't be the cheer. There's it's, always that one drunk asshole. Yeah, it's a collective. <laughs> it's not a you show asshole. And you were making it the you show. And he's so like fucking off pitch too. He's not even like just doing the same thing. He'll switch it from like a, a woo, woo, to like woo, 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 woo. And like you had to have been in major throat pain the next day. Like, he sounded like he was going into labor. Yeah, pro- maybe. Maybe it was a woman <laughs> whose water broke. I don't know. Beside the point, fuck you. We're not going to mention this guy again. Deal? Deal. Okay. <laughs> sorry, I got really heated there, folks. But, dude, just watch. Don't. Well, watch the match. It's a great match. Watch but, the match on mute. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Listen, watch the match on mute if you really need to know what commentary is saying, which I ignore them most of the time. You could anyways, put on the, the subtitles. Still, yeah, put on the subtitles. Do anything but actually listen to this with yes. the volume on. Okay. But beside the point, let's, let's get to the actual match because yes. the match is a very good match. So, Dusty wrestles Flair to the mat, which Flair naturally fights out of uh, by attempting a leg pick. Flair then gives Dusty a good kick to the shin, which causes the Dream to literally yell out in pain, and then he heads to the outside. This will be a motif that runs through the rest of the match. Flair makes a small comeback, locks in a rushing Rhodes into a sleeper hold, but immediately gets launched face first into the turnbuckle. And guess what? Ric Flair's bleeding, because of course he is. Um, Then Dusty attempts to lock in a figure four, but Flair kicks him off, causing the Dream to grab his injured leg. Even with the injured leg, Flair cannot get an upper hand for most of this match. He gets launched over the ropes to the floor uh, to add more color to that beautiful blonde platinum hair that Flair has. Dusty rams his face into the steel barricade, which actually looked painful. Dusty gets a ton of punches in, causing the blood to run further, leading to Flair to do that hilarious Ric Flair flop where he like kind of walks a few feet and then like flops directly onto his <laughs> face, which I always love. So it's dramatic. always so funny. It's like It's like a child who's just like, clean your room. Ugh, and like falls face first onto their bed. I guess you could say he has a flair for the dramatics. And that's a good one. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of you for that. I don't know if I can take credit for everything here. Uh, there, oh, where was I? I'm sorry. So we get the flare chop uh, and then this hilarious top rope sequence. So if you've ever seen Ric Flair back in the day get like Irish whipped into the ropes, he flips and does the thing where he'll go over the ropes. Um, Shawn Michaels 100% ripped it off. But what right. Flair does instead is he flips, goes over the ropes, and he, like, corrects himself, and he runs to the other apron and attempts to do, like, a top rope axe handle. But Dusty's like, I'm fine. 
and he just like hits him in the stomach as he goes down. So Flair's obviously like supposed to be like super disoriented, doesn't know where he is. But I thought that sequence was freaking hilarious. Yeah. Just like, oh, I'm gonna get him. Nope. So it's just classic <laughs> Ric Flair shit. Um, however, where was I? Uh, Dusty gets a ton more punches, causing the blood to drip further down Flair's head. But it leads to Flair uh, to hit the leg again and get in a figure four leg drop onto Dusty, but he refuses to tap out. Dusty then hits a crossbody and goes for the pin, but Flair kicks out and somehow launches Dusty Rhodes, who is not a small man, onto the referee, who tumbles to the floor, literally dead. Um, and I noticed here as well, I mentioned this to you, like, we do like an overhead shot kind of thing where it's like the action of the ring and then the, the ref on the outside, and there's like a spotlight directly <laughs> on the referee. <laughs> Which is just, like, so funny. Like in the cast musical where he's, like, the next cat to, like, go up into heaven or whatever. Is that what happens? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, good lord. Uh, big fan of cats over here. <laughs> so, with the referee down, Arn Anderson charges the ring. Uh, he eats a fist from Rhodes. Uh, but Ole comes out of nowhere, hits Dusty with a running knee, which apparently incapacitates Dusty for many seconds. Uh, another ref enters the fray. and Flair goes for the pin, but Dusty kicks out. Dusty then rolls up the champ. Gets the three count and becomes the new NWA world champion. And the crowd and the fucking woo guy go crazy. <laughs> and by woo guy, I do not mean Ric Flair. But Olivia, what did you think of our world title match? Oh, man. I, what, what isn't there to say about this? I love this. This woo. is, uh, you know, not only classic Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes match, but this show or this match was just... Like, the epitome of 80s wrestling, as is, like, kind of this whole show, I guess. Um, but this is, this is, okay, I know we've kind of, you know, joshed and joked the whole night that, like, this is what you wouldn't show somebody who's not a fan of wrestling. This is a match that I would show to anybody, to anybody's grandma, to anybody's cousin second removed for <laughs> political reasons. Um, I would show, I truly think... That if we had a match like this today with similar competitors, that it would bring world peace. I love this match. It's a great so, match. So, I gave it a 4 out of 5. Okay. Uh, I gave it a 4.5 out of that 5. I think this is the epitome of great 80s wrestling from two great wrestlers. And yes, they were both great back in their Very day. great. Um, Dusty pretty much had the whole match in hand. I mean, Flair gets yeah. a few offensive moves because Dusty was supposed to be... That guy that was like, you know what, I'm going to win. for, And he cuts a promo afterwards, like, for all the blue-collar people, this is the American dream. This is American dream, baby. I'm going to win this for all the blue-collar people at home, baby. It's not really bad, Dusty Rhodes, first nation. Um, <laughs> it's honestly not that bad. It's not? Good. No. Um, however, I have to knock this the half star because of the utter bullshit that, that goes on. At, no, well, not even the woo guy. <laughs> um, what happens afterwards, um, and that is... Let me read. I'm just going to read directly from the Wikipedia page. So after Starcade, Dusty Rhodes' victory was reversed by referee Tommy Young. The outcome of the match was changed to Rhodes winning by disqualification due to the interference of Arn Anderson and Ric Flair remained the NWA world champion. So as great of a match as this is, a five-star match if you think about it. Like, literally a week later, they're like, yeah, but he... So you want to talk about, like, some irregular officiating up in the NWA. This is, like, a conspiracy yeah. here because Rick did his job. Rick Flair is a great guy, not only because he has always been a great champion when he's champion, 
but he really knows how to sell it for people. And at times where it can be kind of ridiculous, which Shawn Michaels totally ripped off from him, but it's okay because we love you, Shawn. Um, and Dolph Ziggler doesn't do it. And well. yeah, and Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> um, yeah, that that sucks. Yeah, it's and I I can't believe I read that because I was just like, oh, this is when that bullshit happened. I thought it happened like a year or two later, but it happened here. So it kind of takes all that really that fantastic promo Dusty did the entire yeah. match where he controlled the match. He didn't just beat Ric Flair. He pretty much like squashed Ric Flair if you think right. about it, um, and still overcame the Minnesota Wrecking Crew to win the match. But good news that came out of this is directly afterwards, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Ric Flair, with J.J. Dillon as their manager, would create arguably the greatest stable of all time, the Four Horsemen. So. That's great. Yeah. We got the Horsemen and some of the best Ric Flair promos of all time afterwards. But enough about that. We'll get to that later down the road. Olivia, what is your match of the night, performer of the night, and final grade for NWA Starcade 85? All right. So um, um, my match of the night, just because it is my highest rated, has to go to the main event, which is Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair. I can't say enough good things about this match. Um, my performer of the night has to go to Dusty Rhodes just because of that very... I hate to say that it's adorable, but he's adorable. Um, promo that he cut uh, post winning the match. And then my final rating for the show is going to be a 3 out of 5. Uh, like I said earlier, this show was the epitome of 80s wrestling. From tag team matchups to some questionable stipulations. And with the Dusty Rick finale, these are all characteristics that define the golden era. So All right. So, uh, my match of the night is going to be the same as yours. It is going to Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes, even with the bullshit that happened later down the line and fucking Woo Guy. Um, it was, it's just, it's an amazing match. It is great. You should watch it. Take Louie's advice and watch it without the sound on. Yeah. Uh, cause that guy is highly annoying, but amazing, amazing match. Uh, my performer of the night's also going to Dusty Rhodes, cut a great promo, Looked great in the ring. Was having so much fun. And and he squashed Ric Flair. He squashed the world champion. Um, my attire of the night. It's not going to Ric Flair this week, though. It is going uh-huh. to superstar Billy Graham's, uh, what did you call them, space dyed? Space dyed, yeah. He yeah. had some pink tights on. Those were pretty cool. I was a big fan of that. Um, and my final grade, I think I'm also going to give it a three. Um, I think there was some very good things on this show. Um, such as the two main events. I guess. You can actually call them main events now because yeah. they take place in two different spots. Um, and then some other good wrestling, like the United States title match. Um, I had some fun with the arm wrestling match that was that was really goofy. Uh, so yeah, I'm giving that a three. So Olivia, before we get to what we'll get to next week and for later in the month of June, um, we're going to do kind of a year in review of 1985 because it doesn't warrant its own episode it's only three shows. We covered WrestleMania, the Wrestling Classic, and Starcade. So I thought at the end of these kind of 80 shows, when there's only like five or six shows, we'll just do it at the, the end of the year, if you think yeah. about that. Um, but before we do that, I created a spreadsheet. And I want to, uh, we did all of the five shows, so Starcade 83, 84, WrestleMania 1, the WrestleMania, Wrestling Classic, and Starcade 85. I counted this as 1983 to 1985. And Olivia, your average score that you gave these was a 2.6. Yeah. So that's a kind of right down the middle for a little bit. Mine is just slightly lower at a 2.4. I think the Wrestling Classic really took... The, oh, and Starcade 84. We hated Starcade 84. So we that did. really took those down. Um, really took some all the shows down and uh, drowned them. Yes. Yes, it did. I also did one, even though we did this year in review 2020 episode 
a while ago, but uh, all the 2020 episodes for the uh, 26 episodes we did that year, your average score was a 3.27, so basically a 3.3, and mine was a 3.42. All right. So those, we were a lot higher then, but there was yeah. a lot more shows. Um, but Olivia, I also want to ask you, we're not going to do a full, like, our bronze superstar and our, our gold superstar. We're just going to go best match and best overall show of 1985. Yeah. So what, what was your best match? Okay, so these choices I picked not based on, because sometimes I do like to just pick um, the thing that I most highly rated, but I actually picked these two for some differing reasons. Okay. Um, so my best match of 1985 is actually going to Wendy Richter versus Leilani Kai. Nice. I rated that with a three out of five, and for its historical significance, and also the fact that I really enjoyed the match for how surprising legit, surprisingly legitimate it was for the time in women's wrestling. I got to give this my best match of 1985. Okay. These ladies are out here representing all of the other ladies. This is some good. This is promising. This is this is one of those things that I would pull out as an anomaly of the way that people usually like to define um women's wrestling especially in the past. Um this is definitely again an an example of something that I would want to show somebody who's not a wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. Um it was equal parts um, entertaining with the incorporation of, um, you know, some, like, pop culture icons. Trying to, are you and, trying to think of Cindy Lauper's yes, name? Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it was, like, equally entertaining, and it was, like, sort of, like, a pseudo, um, main event for the ladies, so I love that. And, um, also for its historical significance, I'm going to pick... WrestleMania won as my best show of 1985. Um, although it has an equal rating to what I rated Starcade 1985 with um, a 3 out of 5, its historical significance beats out the other two shows. Um, I think that this is sort of like the beginning of something greater in wrestling. And I think for that, I just kind of have to, you know, I'm kind of obligated to give it the, the best show of the year yeah um i would totally understand that one as well i'm not picking wendy richter and lalani kai even though everything you said i absolutely agree with but i am picking the match i read the highest and that's gonna be the one okay. we just covered rick flair versus dusty Rhodes. all right i mean that's just it's just a great match yeah. so i'm gonna stop talking about it however even though i rated starcade 85 higher than wrestlemania i'm giving the best show overall to wrestlemania and that is because while starcade 85 i think had a lot more highs it also had some of the lowest of lows, like that Miss Atlanta Lively thing. Whereas WrestleMania was just a super card that Vince McMahon put on, and it is much like Starcade 1983, the most historical show for obvious reasons. We would not have WrestleMania no. um, without WrestleMania one, or if Vince would have had his way, Colossal Tussle. <laughs> so my my pick for that is going to WrestleMania one. Uh, we will be back next week with a. Uh, day of review of NXT TakeOver In Your House 2, which will be fun. And then the week after that, we have WWE's Hell in a Cell 2021, which is, for reasons unknown, taking place in June. And then the last show we're going to do in June is 1986's WrestleMania 2, which will cause a break because we are moving across the country. So we'll have a break off of that. You won't get an episode 4th of July. But we'll be back after that. Um, that should be fun. We're going to have a trivia episode. Olivia's going to quiz me I think 25 questions, yeah. right? So that'll be pretty fun. 
We'll probably throw our Von Eric one in the middle there. We are still we are packing up, so if we don't, we'll we'll do Sorry it. Sorry about you. We'll yeah. do it eventually. But we're definitely gonna do the trivia one in the next yeah. week or so, and we'll have all of those episodes out, of course. But thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you for listening. Olivia, would you like to take us home? Absolutely. Please go follow us on Instagram at That's Gotta Be Wrestling. That's our podcast hub where we post good memes, bad memes, all memes in between. Also, when we post when we go live. Definitely go check out the link in our Instagram bio. That's going to take you to all of our different avenues of where you can listen to our episode, as well as our Red Bull page where we've got some cool little stickers with our logo on it and worked very hard on it. So please go check that out. Um, also go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Helps us out tremendously. Go give us a follow on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. But as always, Tommy, thank you for talking wrestling with me. Of course. Uh, some of the big news, side part, is that since we will be moving to Las Vegas... SummerSlam will be taking place in Las Vegas. Yes, I'm so, so excited. We're gonna very much try and get tickets to that and take my nephew, which will be pretty cool. Um, so we will actually do an episode in August, of course, when SummerSlam happens after we've attended SummerSlam. Yeah. But that's months away. So yeah. we get like two months away. So we'll get there when we get there. But thank you for joining us, guys. And woo!